Welcome to episode 26 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to talk all news. Let's continue the conversation. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of MADE. With me as always is my co-host Claudia Berrigan. Barragan, yes. Barragan. And Ray Peña. Um that is Peña. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, uh, no, I don't care. <laughs> and I am Jose Valcarcel. Uh, <laughs> you weren't expecting that one, were you? No, I was not. You expected it from her, but you weren't expecting it from me. Yeah, well I wasn't expecting it from her either anymore. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be she would let it go, it was close enough. <laughs> you know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're we're back. It's two weeks in a row. We're we're on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. What have you guys been up to? Uh, me, not much. You know me. I'm I basically sit on the couch most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've been working on some stuff. We're gonna talk about later. Um, yeah. Could you be having some couple of late nights at the shop as well? Oh yeah. I did finish that up. I uh, oh, nice. stayed till about two thirty. I go. Well, I got home at two thirty wow. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. What Claudia's always busy. Yeah. Um, right now we have a deadline for June twenty third, which is Friday, mm-hmm. for a comprehensive plan here in the district. Amendments to the comprehensive plan. So, been working with the team, um, like of close to twenty organizations. Hmm. Like writing amendments, and a lot of it has been education on comprehensive plan, which is really boring. And it's not that I find it boring, I actually find it very interesting. But when you're talking to people and you want to get them as excited as you are about something this wonky, you realize, oh my gosh, I'm really boring these people. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it's funny, this sort of thing is not easy for, for everybody to relate to, even though it affects them directly. Yeah, I wish, like, I mean, there's, you know, talking about, like, making and creativity and using our design, there's got to be ways in which we can make this, like, com- like planning, comprehensive planning for a community, for a large city like this, a fun, like, a fun process. You, you know, mm. you sound <laughs> kind of like saying, we should make forensic accounting more fun. <laughs> Right. Guess what? Some things are just not fun. That's just not how it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the only way to make something fun for somebody that, you know, that's not what they do is to relate. Like, I could never find accounting fun because there's just no way for me to relate to it, right? Yeah. But, I mean, like, today I was just at a, at a friend's house and I was talking to them about renovations to their house. Like, that they find exciting. If I sat there and started talking to them about architecture in general, they'd be like, what the fuck is, what are you talking to me about? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was explaining <laughs> things like how we can expand their house, how we can redo their kitchen, how we can do this, the other thing. That they understand. They can relate to that. See, I was yeah. trying to do that because I have friends that are graffiti artists. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get them to, like, hey, you know, this is, like, a great chance to put you know, some of your policies into, like, legislature that you would want and you know like and hold, hold on, hold like, on. How, do, I, I, how do you do that with graffiti artists right yeah but, back that up because i'm curious what kind of policy graffiti artists are, are are trying to put forth because that's a that's a little weird so the first thing is they can put to not criminalize 
uh, graffiti artists, mm. right? That's that's one of the things. Then also, you know, the length of time that their their um, murals can uh, can stay, or maybe if you know, like deciding whether it's it's significant contribution to the community over its time should perhaps like extend that lifetime of it. Right. Um, today there was like this big thing about in DC, there's this commute, there's this, um, uh, long standing historic black, uh, business. It's called Ben Chili's ball, Chili, Chili ball. Yeah, and, Chili. um, right next to them. Cause they're right in an alley in that alley. They had like this mural with, uh, Bill Cosby and Obama, right? And that had been there for at least 10 years, I think. At least eight during Obama's um, administration. But they erased it completely now, mm-hmm. and they put a new one. And, like, artists came, like, uh, famous people came. Like, David Chappelle was there because he's a DC, na- a DC native. And that's an interesting thing because, like, you know, what point do you do that? Like, that could actually be legislated. Like, that could be a policy that would protect graffiti artists. All right. Everything that I just said, like, really quickly (laughs) became less fun, right? (laughs) Because I'm talking about, like, graffiti, which is, like, something fun and creative. And then, like, really... I don't know. I don't know. uh, Listen to you talk, because for me, there are two separate things. There's graffiti art, Mm -hmm. and then there is uh, what you... Oh, I don't know how to describe it other than graffiti destruction of public property. It's one thing if it's art when you have permission to to uh, do something to someone's building. It's another thing when you just grab a spray can and you start doing what you want to someone else's property. So I think there's a there's a big distinction there between uh, art and vandalism. So yeah. I'm well, not sure which way it would fall. See, I don't think the first thing you described, and this one is my, I'll, I'll tell you guys this, um, but the first thing you described is not really graffiti art. That's a mural that somebody's letting you yes, put up. Yes, yes. The second thing is actually, could, you know, there's vandalism and there's graffiti for the sake of making an art or a political statement or whatever. Um, but it's funny because this all reminds me, this is sort of the, the question that I have for you, you know, some of the, and I know some of the guys that you're talking about, but I, I wonder if legalizing it and taking not legalizing because it's never going to be legal, but decriminalizing it, making it not a misdemeanor, basically, mm-hmm. what you're saying, right? Um, take some of the wanting to do it away <laughs> from it. Uh-huh, yeah. Right? Because then if it, there's no thrill of it, there's no edge of it, there's no... If it's if it's almost welcomed, <laughs> and it's not necessarily welcome, but, you know, if it's... Yeah. If no, I agree. I think yeah. there's a certain sense of danger that makes it exciting knowing that you are breaking the law. Yeah, and this is what I'll tell you. This conversation, this just brought, reminded me of you guys, and nobody else that's listening to this knows these people. But remember Terence O'Connor and yes, and yeah. uh, Tony Abate, which were two professors that we yes. had. My f- second year, I forget one of the years that I was in architecture school. I, you know, for people that don't know, in architecture school, at the end of semester, you put your projects up on the wall, and the professors critique it. You know, it's like it's a crit. And one of the people that was presenting had done his project. It was his thesis project, and he had done a museum for graffiti art. Uh-huh. And in the middle of his script, this sort of whole debate broke out about whether, you know, having a museum where you're welcoming the graffiti art is really in keeping with the art of yeah, graffiti. Yeah. And then does that take it apart? Yeah. Like, you know, like uh, O'Connor's point was like, I think a graffiti artist wants to 
go behind, jump the chain link fence and hide yeah. all the thing to do his art. And people were like, no, it's, you know, now it's an art form. It's like, so this whole debate happened and, you know, everybody's going to stand in a different place when it comes to that. Well, there is a guerrilla aspect of, of urban graffiti, isn't it? A little bit. Doing something to, to buildings without anybody's permission. Like you're saying, jumping a, a, a fence or climbing a wall. Or, you know, when, when uh, kids, I say kids because at 40 years old, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. But where they get on the, uh, the overpasses. And they'll, they'll put him right at the edge. Like, how did they get it at the edge of the overpass, right? right. Or in, like, the, where the train tracks are or whatever. Like, I, some of the art I've seen off of the train tracks, I'm like, how do they do that? Because it's yeah. it's amazing art and it's, like, yeah. Yeah, so there is a certain level there that, that and, and, you know, that's part of that added danger and the gorilla mm-hmm. aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, but, yeah, I, I think that there's a big distinction if you're talking about, uh, in your point of uh, Claudia, about policy, <laughs> well, yeah. the distinction between vandalism and actually uh, art, and and Jose's point, if you are asking them to come there, it might it might nullify the whole graffiti nature of it, and and become a mural. I think, I think those are all interesting aspects. Yeah, I mean, I'll end this <laughs> this this fun thing about what I've been talking about, which I think it's fun. It, it see it, it brought up a really good discussion. And the other big thing that I found in this comprehensive plan, uh, grassroots community driven process is that time is important. You can't like to have this dialogue, you can't limit it to like a 30 day process. We mm-hmm. managed to make it a 60 day project uh, process because we asked them to extend it. Now we found through this process that it should have been a six month process because then I would have been able to have those awesome dialogues with these graffiti artists, but I'll leave you guys with this thing. Cause they took a picture of this, mm-hmm. um, tag. It's almost, it's, it's not a tag. It's, um, it's a stencil, uh, it's a stencil yeah. right? And it's, it was actually done by, by one of our friends, mm-hmm. um, for a one studio. And this is what it says. It says, I was going to paint something, some street art on this, on this wall, but realized I could go to jail mm-hmm. for longer than a rapist. And that's the mm-hmm. policy mm-hmm. that literally, the 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 punishment for graffiti doesn't meet the crime right right and 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 if we were to look at this in policy we would we would see that okay well make it a misdemeanor that is not equal to what a rapist would do mm-hmm. because you're really preventing people from participating in art in an art form and get better at it too so that they can become muralists mm-hmm. but well, yeah so I'll leave it at that yeah and I think you know not specifically talking about the graffiti art part of it is this kind of process is should be longer because you know this conversation about graffiti art or whatever should you are not going to be able to have with people that are concerned about you know the, the fences on their house and what kind of fence they like to have and whatnot. So you sort of have to have this bunch of individual conversations so that everybody's engaged in the part that affects them, which is why it's hard to have this in a short period of time. Yeah. That's why, like, that's my biggest lesson learned. And I think, like, that's the one thing I'm going to fight for next time and the next 20 years after this, because that's all I have. (laughs) And now uh, I'll, because it's a picture, I think I'll take, I'll I'll put this picture up on my Twitter or something so people can see it, um, of the the stencil art, I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's this in debate. So, and I, I'd be interested to hear other people's thoughts of it. So, if you have an opinion, uh, I don't know, maybe tweet it at us or whatever, or tweet it at me at, at City Aperture. I'd love to hear what people are thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, you guys want to jump right into the main topic, even though this was a, I thought it was an interesting discussion. Yeah, but but um, next time, yeah, 
forensic accounting. <laughs> Wait, not just accounting, forensic accounting. Forensic accounting, yeah. What, what is forensic accounting? Is that, uh, is that when you, you take account of death? Uh, no, that's when, um, let's say, uh, for example, uh, the FBI uh, comes in and seizes your records. They want to find mm. out how you actually funneled your money or what, you know, a, a criminal uh, in, enterprise. And they need to find out where everything went, how uh, how it happened, mm -hmm. who to go to. It how was like it? an investigative accounting type thing, gotcha. Yes, yeah, yeah but yeah. because it's after the fact yeah, right. and, and they're trying to find information they don't have, mm -hmm. it's called uh, forensic accounting. That's probably the oversimplified way. Yeah. I'm sure if uh, we had an accountant here, once we woke up, <laughs> Uh, from their explanation <laughs> that uh, we'd find it even less interesting. The, the, the joke in one of the TV shows I love, Parks and Rec, was because uh, one of the one of the characters was getting a job as the accountant for an accounting firm. So one of the other characters goes to like, wait, so in a job in a job full of boring jobs, you're gonna have the boring job, the most boring, the yeah, because he has to be the accountant for the accountants. Anyway, all right. Well, yeah. So let's uh, <laughs> shout let's out to accountants. Jump. Uh, yeah, we we just uh, we just lost all listeners of our accountants. Uh, Isn't your mom an accountant? Technically, she's a my bookkeeper. My mom is a bookkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah she's, we Sorry. never talk about what she does. It's very boring. Uh, so this week we're gonna just sort of run down some of the news stories that have been circling around. Some some interesting projects people have put up. Stuff like that. It was a third yeah, all the, news. The third episode. all news episode. It's a trilogy of news episodes. Yes. This is the third <laughs> one. Um, I hear the fifth one is when they get good. So yeah. we got two more <laughs> until they get really good. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just jump right into it. We're going to do all news. All right, so for anybody that hasn't listened to our famous all-news episodes, um, we basically just sort of run down the, the news sort of in three categories, which is design, making, and manufacturing, what this show's about. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we'll just sort of jump around between the design and the making and the manufacturing news stories that we have. And um, I thought, well, we'll just sort of start randomly. Um why don't we start with this, which is it's called Bench Sketch. It's software that turns a 2D sketch into a 3D model. Now, I put this on here because you know, I don't know how well this piece of software works. And I've never tried it. You know, the, the video that they have makes it seem easy enough. Um, but I think it could be a larger discussion as to, you know, is something like this necessary, one, and two, does this really open up sort of 3D modeling and 3D printing for everybody? Uh, what do you What do you think about it, Claudia? So I was actually a little bit annoyed by it. Um, yeah. So I like one of the things that I do in I guess my in my that I have in my toolbox is um, it's called digital terrain modeling, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically using GIS data, elevation data, a geographic uh, spatial data mm. uh, on elevation for a terrain, mm. right? And then it interpolates the, the elevations to create this triangulation so that you be, you end up with a mesh of your terrain. Mm -hmm. And it's been around for 
years, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, that's how triangulation and interpolation uh, as an as as a algor- algorithm is is been around, right? Mm-hmm. So this particular thing basically re reestablishes that whole process as this like really interesting new way of creating this from a two D. A paper paper drawing or image into a 3D object. Mm-hmm. And they go into this really, really elaborate way of explaining triangulation and interpolation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on. Now, they made it user-friendly. So I'll say, fine, you don't need to have, like, you know, a specific, like, special um, um, software to do it like you would use in GIS. Mm-hmm. But that's what SketchUp does, too. And that's free. Right, but I mean it's... So I don't understand what, what what's the the why they're making this like it's such a like huge, highly academic um, you know, feat that they mean like this wonderful like thing that they achieved. Well see I mean I think that a little bit of that is marketing speak, right? Like I don't know that anybody actually believes they've done something super groundbreaking. I think the groundbreaking part of it is that they're trying to make it user friendly where anybody could do it. What do you think about it, Ray? Well, um, I think you hit on the head, uh, Claudia. I think I think this was an academic paper, um, and I, if you listen to them, if you watch the video and you listen, it is almost described as a mathematical problem mm-hmm. that they were trying to solve. So the the whole thing doesn't speak of creativity for the sake of design. It it, it kind of tells me that we had a problem, here's a mathematical solution for it, and here's kind of how we figured it out. So it, it, I don't think it is a tool for drawing as much as it was an exercise in mathematics for, for making this happen. Um, so, I, so I think when, when you say academic, I think you hit it on the head with that. Um, I do think, though, that it is much, much different than, than uh, SketchUp because of the ability to do these compound curves of three-dimensional shapes. If you ever tried using SketchUp to do more complicated surfaces, you'll find that it is a huge pain to get that done. And here, to be able to do it with a few, uh, a few lines uh, would make that kind of process easier. I, I don't know how applicable this is. And, and they, you know, they use common everyday things like a bird, a shoe, a teapot, a pitcher, you know, things like that. And it's weird because those examples are kind of like useless examples. If you are 3D modeling something, it's because you're making something that 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 wasn't, you know, there's a new thing and you're going to make it. So when they use those examples, you know, they're like drawing over a, a photograph. So I don't see creativity. I see the ability to mimic or reproduce something that already is i think that's mm-hmm. part of part of it is that a lot of 3d modeling and 3d printing is no longer being just for creativity a lot of people just want to make stuff that they can 3d print but they don't they don't have the modeling skills for it so they need something simpler that they can do and i think that's what this is aiming at so like i, I agree with with both of you but more with ray in the sense that 
their example of the shoe, of the mm-hmm. woman's stiletto. Mm-hmm. That bothered me to no end. Because <laughs> Why is that? Because of Jose's point that, you know, if you really want to make a shoe, mm-hmm. right, then it, it's, it's more intricate than what they showed. So this particular software tool allows you to, to do some of those contouring mm-hmm. that's necessary for a stiletto. But then it's it loses, like, I'm thinking, well, maybe you could actually 3D print your shoe, which would be kind of cool, right? And I'm thinking mm. Crocs here, right? Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, type of, that type of material, even. Man, I'm not a fan of those. But And that's the key. I think that's the reason why Crocs look the way they, they do, because when you, when you make something out of 3D, then you lose that, the, those contourings and, and the fact that you're, you know, like, you're going to be wearing this and it should be a comfortable, like it should fit, it should fit you. It, you lose that fit, mm-hmm. right? And I really wish that they would have figured that out instead. Like how do you like combine what Jose is saying, which is like you can actually start printing things that you would use now with what Ray is saying, which is like this thing is really not helpful. So how do you like solve those two? How do you make something that's actually useful? Like, I interpret what you're saying, right? Like, this is not helpful for people like the three of us here. Because once we have the skill to model stuff ourselves, mm-hmm. and we are, mm-hmm. we're constantly creating things that are, don't already exist, that yeah. somebody already, already makes it. If somebody already makes it, we can just go buy it. We don't need it, we don't, yeah. right? But I think this is for people that, you know, have 3D printing as a hobby where they just want to 3D print stuff and it's fun for them and it's just... You know, like nobody really needs to make a model boat. Let's just say I, 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 I just came to head because the place I just was, a friend of mine was make. He, he makes little model boats. Nobody needs to do that, but they do it as a hobby. I think some of this 3D printing and 3D modeling is the same thing. Yeah. Did you notice the one piece of the puzzle that was missing in in? And I didn't read it mm-hmm. in the um, in the description of this. I didn't see it in the video because oh, it's a very short blurb there. Right. Uh, but I didn't see it in the video either. Did you notice the, what was missing? If you're going to be making stuff, mm, well, there's no. I don't know how they scale this. To, to exactly right. scale. So if you're if you're sketching yeah. this over and you're making a, a shoe, you don't know if it's three inches tall or thirty feet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I didn't see that. I'm like, how how are you controlling that? Yeah, I didn't see an answer for that either. And that's one of the first things that I thought of. Like, okay, yeah, you can do this, and it's. To a degree, it's impressive how they can come up with this three-dimensional object from sort of two views, um, but it's or, or two hand sketches essentially. But yeah, how do you set a scale to it? Like, how is that hat fit on somebody's head? Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is it for your bear, for your little toy bear, or is it for your <laughs> three-year-old son? I don't appreciate you looking at me when you said for your little toy bear. I do not own a toy bear. Let's just be clear to the listeners. She, uh, she does not mean I own a teddy bear of some kind. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Somebody's defensive. Yeah, she yeah, means in general. You mean generally speaking it's yes. for a child to print for their bear yes. is what you mean. Um, all right. Well, so, I mean, overall, this piece of software you guys think is useful or not useful? I think it's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, but in its current in its current uh, version, not particularly useful. Second that. Cool. Um, I see potential with it, but yeah, I mean, it's not useful for me currently as I see it, but I mean, I see the potential behind it. 
Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting where they are in a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see how it progresses. Because um, it, it almost, it, it's, I mean, when you think about what the software is doing, there's so much going on and they're having to recognize that the line, which lines are on plan and which ones are on elevation and what color line is the curve and which one it isn't. Like, there's a lot of recognition that's going on in this piece of software that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Um, let's go to... So I found this interesting. One, because I like the way this guy spoke. <laughs> or I like, But uh, the GE CEO says that the robots taking jobs in five years is BS. And, you know, for younger listeners, that stands for bullshit. <laughs> for younger <laughs> listeners? Yeah, yes. Why do you got to qualify it like that? Well, I'm just saying so that they, they, it's, uh, it's clear what, what he's saying. Uh, okay. um, <laughs> I get it. A bunch anything, of crocs. Yes, if anything, I should have put it in a nicer way, but I yeah. thought it would be funnier this way. Um, mm. What right. do you guys think of this story, Ray? <laughs> Well, you know what? Uh, I, I agree with you. I like his candid, no, no b- BS um, uh, conversation. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, it, what, what wasn't clear, and I think what he was trying to say is in a factory environment. Right. But I don't think you get that right from the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he makes a, an interesting comment about work, which uh, I know Claudia liked. I'm going to let you quote him on that one. <laughs> so, but I think he he was trying to say that in a factory setting where you are doing manual labor, mm-hmm. that that robots are not going to take uh, and replace humans entirely, uh, and particularly not in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the way he phrased the comment, it was it was not so um, clear that that's what he meant. But I personally, I think that's what he's trying to say. Um, yeah, I, and I think I would agree with him. It's not going to happen. you got to have people on the factory floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when people say, oh, you know, robots are going to take over, they're going to take our jobs, or bringing this in, I think they, that in the back of their minds, if, if they're not really understanding how industrialized robots work, they're thinking it's going to be like, you know, an AI type of machine that is going to physically look like humans and sit that on a desk and type and things like that. Um I don't think that they realize it's talking about welding and positioning and moving things from point A to point B. And there's a lot of specific things like you've been to my shop in that kind of environment that there is no robot that could ever do those kind of things. So, um, and I think, I think that that's what he was trying to say, but I don't know if it came across that way clearly to everyone. What do you think, Gloria? Yeah, so I, I mean, I agree with you guys, and I, I, at first, I was, I was like, what? What is he talking about? And obviously, had you know, he should know what he's talking about. So at least you have to respect that, right? His quote was, "Most of the people that think that uh, work is totally going to be displaced are people that have never done work." I think if you've actually run a factory, you know, most of this is bullshit. <laughs> and so I would call myself more a realist than an optimist. So, yeah, I personally, some realists I really don't appreciate. But, mm. yeah, I was like, come on. Like, how, how does he really say that people don't have, you know, that displacement of employ, of employees doesn't necessarily or it's not really going to happen or that, 
but when you really think, like, actually look at his quote, he's talking about extremes. So he's saying that work is totally going to be displaced. So work is always going to be there. And then what, what is work to him? Because he's saying that, you know, well, there's, these are people who haven't done work. And then it goes exactly to what Ray says, that he's talking about factory-level work. Mm-hmm. Or I another one of, 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 of the things that he says um, earlier in this in this article, he says, companies should look to make their workers more productive through new technological tools. And that's where I think his his realism just went went out the door a little bit and his optimism came in. So I don't, I think he's, I, I call bluff on him, on him. So, I mean, I think when, when I hear that first quote that you read, right, where he basically says anybody that thinks the work is going to go away is people that have no work. To me, that, I took that as like that's a shot he's taking at, um, at thinkers at um, what's the word I'm thinking about um, like colors. non-productive labor right like like the people that are sitting there designing the robots or whatever mm-hmm. they're the ones that think they're going to do away with work the the scholars mm. of the world that may write papers about how you know the the workforce is going away or whatever that's what I took that as like mm-hmm. he's saying you know you people that don't get your hands dirty. You're yeah. the ones that are saying this. Um, or university me, economists. Right. Yeah, the scholars <laughs> of the wor- world are saying yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying, I'm a real... I think he puts himself in the category of, like, he's done real work. That's why he's not saying that. One, which, you know, you're a CEO. How much real work have you done? Uh, <laughs> but like, that's how I took that. I mean, and I kind of agree with him a little bit in in that sense. Um, so, but from a policy perspective, mm-hmm. and so one thing that I've, I've learned, right, because this is, I, like, that's what I was doing before, like, you know, like, being that white collar person who only, like, designs and does that type mm-hmm. of office work. But one thing I've seen in what the work that I've been doing now is uh, a really good example. It doesn't have to be within a factory. Um, a lot of the bus fleets, the transportation, public transportation bus fleets, mm-hmm. eventually and pretty soon are going to become electric. Right and using self-driving as well, and that's the key. Like mm. then it's going to be self-driving, which is going to be the next level, right? And that's when I appreciate his optimism that companies should look to make so companies or uh, public governments, right, or city governments should invest in making their workers productive within within these new technologies that are coming up. Mm. And I don't think that happens. I don't think that the city government is looking to, is really looking at workforce development. What they're thinking and what they're funding and what they're writing bills about is how to make these new companies and how to open up this new greener technologies to corporations who will then take over that. So how to like privatize to the, to the privatize 2.0 and the workers end up being at the, at the bottom and they're not being productive. They are not learning new skills. They're not improving themselves. And then there's no one training younger, younger people to be able to go into those jobs. So I think he's being very optimistic there because what we're seeing in policy is completely the opposite. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. But okay, but let's look at it from like uh, an example of something that that's out there currently, right? Like a robot that's out there that is out there to take somebody's job, right? Like, the Roomba, 
right? The Roomba <laughs> is out there so that you don't need somebody to vacuum your house for you, right? Yeah. It does it itself. Yeah. Has the Roomba really put anybody out of work from cleaning houses? I would argue probably not because the people that could afford to have somebody come to clean their house probably still have somebody come to clean their house. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, that's funny. I don't know if I, if I personally would consider that a robot or just a domestic appliance. Well, a domestic appliance is something that, like, the person in the house uses itself right like you i never had anybody come make coffee for me so that's why we have we have a coffee maker so that and still well and still yeah because <laughs> I, I don't drink coffee I'll put that yeah. there. but uh but uh, what i'm saying is you know yeah that was not a robo naming <laughs> no. um like you, you're saying that the Roomba is just a better vacuum it's not replaced. that's what i think it is yeah um but you know what it's funny because i don't know anybody who has one I wonder if it actually even is is a good one. I don't know if it if it's a mediocre vacuum. Uh, it just kind of picks up the main pieces. Yeah, I don't know because we don't have any. I've, I've wanted one for a long time. No, it's been on our Christmas list forever. Because, but but you know, in in a sense, you're right. I've not bought a Roomba because I can buy a vacuum for sixty bucks that I push around myself. Yeah. A Roomba's three hundred dollars, or I think the cheapest one is like two fifty. It just doesn't make sense for me to go. I'd rather push it myself and spend less money on having the appliance. So, in that, and maybe in that sense, you're right. But theoretically, if I didn't want to push the vacuum around myself, I could pay somebody to come do it. But rather than doing that, I could just get a Roomba. So, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just saying. So, for anybody else, that's going to be a seamless edit. <laughs> it's been about 20 minutes since we had a little bit of a connection issue. <laughs> well, now they're gonna know about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm curtain lifting. I don't care. It's it's fine. <laughs> You're all about transparency. Aren't exactly. You? Um, but I think the last thing we had sort of settled in was, you know, we had talked about the Roomba and 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 mentioned how you know that's not really taking anybody's job away. I guess for a quick closer to this discussion of what the GECO said, you guys agree with him? Generally speaking. Uh, I do. Yeah, generally I would say yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that as well. I think f- even if it is going to, at some point, robots are going to take over major parts of jobs, it's definitely not going to happen in the next five years. Yeah, so. I don't even think we, we'll see that in our lifetime. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think factory jobs for sure. But I, if you talk about something like what Claudia mentioned, which is, you know, are people still going to be driving or hauling materials across the country themselves or is it going to be a self-driving car that could go either way hmm. that would be crazy right if we see a self-driving car in our lifetime well i mean there's already self-driving cars but whether it's a marketable well, a marketable one, but, yeah. yeah it'd be interesting well and you know mm-hmm. when it, with anything new there's always um a huge level of resistance mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't yeah, like under this internet thing. I mean, I think yeah, there's crazy go tubes in the sky. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, yeah. Was that Gore that said that these tubes in space? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just go into the next story, which is um, that 
arc kit building blocks that you design and build the city of your dreams now i've seen the arc kits before i've seen them mostly actually at bookstores and they were mostly for buildings like to make your own design of houses or whatever but this ones are a little bit more like city ones is what they've put out what do you guys think of this claudia when you go first i i don't know i like i i like the concept mm-hmm. i i don't think the execution was the best mm-hmm. it's still a work in progress and i think that's one of the things that bother me about it because like this is an architect right who mm-hmm. designed this i don't know from where but somewhere in europe and he so he didn't finish it off which mm-hmm. kind of bothers me like you're supposed to have this whole set of like roads and to be able to create your site mm-hmm so that you can develop it, like you can, de- you can literally physically develop your 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 city mm-hmm. as you're you know constructing it, but that hasn't come out yet. Then the whole thing with their like the what is how does it call them the is this adhesives that you can add to the clear um, blocks, but they're not necessarily blocks to these pieces. Mm-hmm. Then those look great, but. I don't think a kid is going to be able to, is going to want to do that. They look realistic for an adult. So he makes this jump from something that should be used by a kid to something that an architect or an adult who likes design would appreciate. Mm -hmm. Now, that's kind of cool, I guess, if you have a family, but it just seems so unfinished. And that's what bothers me about Kickstarter, like that they'll, they'll add people like this and this, you know, that have unfinished products to be able to get funding from them and get pledges from it and my final comment is all of their um little toppers for their mm-hmm. buildings they look like little candy so that's kind of cute but mm-hmm. it really quickly goes into the too cute thing too cute it's just too cute i mean the colors that he chose like the yeah it's just not cool i, I just I, I don't think it looks nice so i don't know what do you think, Ray? Well, um, I know you said you saw this. This is the first time I, I've seen this. I've never seen this before. So I've not seen this, the city ones like this. I've seen uh, their other arc kits, um, which are more for houses or like building specific. I think if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the thing, you see some of the other. Where did I go? So you see some of the boxes. Yeah, like in the middle of the article, you see some of the boxes for the other products. Like I, I've seen ones that are more like building specific. Okay, like the not not as finely detailed as the Lego, like falling mm-hmm. water or the Lego Sears Tower. Right. Or that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I had never seen this, and and I guess I'm confused because they didn't cover it in the article. So half of these images and the text describe a product that is actually quite interesting and then the other half of these images like claudia show these weird pastel finials i mean it's i got no idea if they're they're trying to i got no idea what's going on here so it's very confusing with these little uh toppers that are all these pastel colors and everything else is monochromatic which which i find kind of interesting 
um, because it is about the forms and the shapes and, uh, you know, the colors I find kind of distracting. So I, I look at this thing and I'm kind of confused and I don't know what the message they're trying to send. The text describes something quite interesting and then the images are telling me a different story. Um, so I'm not, I, I'm a, I guess in, in one regard, I'm a little bit like Claudia that I'm confused about the tar target demographic. The, the pastel colors kind of would indicate to me uh, something for kids, and then the, the monochromatic, um, more interesting figures and shapes and forms uh, would indicate to me a target market for adults. But I, I, <laughs> I'm confused. I don't know well, what is going I, I on. Think, I think that's the <laughs> issue I've always had with their other... Like, if Claudia was just scrolling all the way down. Like, if you scroll all the way down, you see some of the houses, that like, like, for £245, or funny British money, you can buy, like, one to design a whole house. And the thing that always... A you know, modern house, that's uh, the other thing. Yeah, it's a modern house. But the thing that always... Like, the thing that's great about Lego is that and we have a Lego product later on, but Lego is, to a degree, very abstract. Like, you can make almost anything. You can make a house, you can make a car. These things were very much, and are very much about buildings, um, which is part of what I like, but I think as a kid, I wouldn't necessarily enjoy it as much. So I I think what you guys are talking about is the thing that's always bothered me, but I'm, I don't own any of this stuff, is because it's... It's two in the middle, you know? Yeah. It's trying to be a kid's toy, but it's also more, looks like it's more designed for adults. Um, so you feel the same way. It's kind of confusing yeah. who it's for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I like, though, is the idea of trying to get kids to play with some of these things and to be able to say, oh, you know, I'm going to have a high-rise area here. I'm going to have low-rise area there. Like, it starts, it starts teaching kids about some of the issues of cities and some of the issues of development and resi residential and whatnot. See, that, you, you hit something there. That's pretty cool. So in this comprehensive plan um, process that I've been doing, mm -hmm. I've been trying to explain to people um, density, right? Because like, a lot of this regulation should go around density. Like, where do you put density bonuses? And, mm -hmm. and when people start talking about density bonus, they don't necessarily understand the the concept of floor area ratio, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. And like the minute I was, you know, and I and, and I've explained it in the most simplest way, right? Like literally, like the the the, the calculation in a very easy way of it's saying you have not your an area. Easy thing to no, but you have your though. area, and then you have the your number of floors. Mm -hmm. So you add up the number of floors divided by your your site area, right? Mm -hmm. Your plot. Yeah. So that's how you come up with your density, mm -hmm. right? And I've shown that in, you know, like in a quick sketch, you know, even in people, some people get it and then some people just glance over and their eyes start rolling and they lose them. Mm -hmm. But this would be really helpful for them because it, you can actually, if they were even color coded, you could actually do some of this, like uh, envision some of this density bonuses in these planning exercises and see how they really affect your your neighborhood mm -hmm. in a grid way so i don't even see it for any of the audiences that they're using like whether it's kids or adults i see it more as consensus building tools I mean, or everything, everything that you've said though you could just do with lego no so so i participate in this um 
uh, program that's for kids, that's for, it's not just kids, it's specifically for high school age kids that teach them about the process of planning. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's through the uh, Urban Land Institute, and it's called Urban Plan. I've been doing this for a long time now. And they use Legos, Mm -hmm. right? But the concept of density, technically, is so limited to the number of blocks, the height of the blocks, and it looks very exactly that. It looks like a toy. Mm-hmm. Whatever they end up creating, it looks like a toy. This doesn't look like a toy. To me, this looks more like a building. Take out some of the silly toppers, but mm-hmm. you know, like you can put green buildings and green roofs on these things, right? And mm-hmm. you could actually account for those. Because that's the other part of it. Like you can make this modular so you can almost see the gross square footage for these or some of these things for your development so i think more of an educational tool not just for kids but also for communities i think this would be kind of cool for that but i mean i don't know i I mean i like it for kids the problem is that it's also too expensive i've always found them to be way too expensive but Hmm. i wonder if i should contact them and ask them hey (laughs) hey uh, hey, i want to play with your toy Yes, can you send this to me and then you know I can like see if I can Oh man, I will tell you from use it. I will tell you from my experience, I get on a daily basis and I, and without exaggeration probably anywhere depends on the day somewhere between 5 and 12 requests. Can you send me a spinner? Can I have one of your spinners? I I broke my spinner, I need a spinner. Can I have yours? I promote you. I want to <laughs> I want one so I <laughs> Do you know how many of those I get? So now I'm listening to you saying the same thing. I'm like, no way. No way. <laughs> wow. I'll make my pitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe well, I mean, maybe you could be more convincing than please send me one because that's, that's the one I get. That's wrong, yeah. I even, exactly. Well, because there's no benefit for you to send one to somebody that just broke theirs or whatever. Exactly. I think, like, if you were to make the right pitch here... The, you know, there's there's a potential for a story to be put out there that oh, these blocks and these toys were used to explain to people the complexities of the plants in DC or whatever. There's a story that could happen in good press, but mm-hmm. yeah, that is a good angle, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and then you can <laughs> you can use your expert uh, status too. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. right? In, in pitching it, in pitching, I, I would, I'd use it. Yeah, that's cool. So, in summary, Claudia loves these things. Ray and Jose on the fence. No, yeah, I'm too confused by it because, um, you know, when I look at it, some of those images are seductive. Mm -hmm. And conceptually, I like it. But then I look at the other, I'm like, do I eat this? Well, I mean, what? (laughs) You know, it reminds me of like those chalky Valentine's Day candies. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to eat this or not. <laughs> Do I eat well, this? I, I think part of the issue is that the colors they chose are very pastel. Yeah. You know, if they had gone a little sharper, like, you know, the yellow was a little more... Earthy. Right. Yeah. Or, or even more solid, even. Like, their red's not really a red, it's a pink. And their green is more like an aqua blue green thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, I think the colors are a little too pastel-y. And and that's the problem, you know, uh, when you see them in aggregate, when they're all together, it really throws things off. It might be okay if it was an accent, 
you know, an exception to the rule. But when you when they compose these images, I'm like, yeah, that, that, this is not for me. And the thing that's also confusing is that you see ones that's completely in color, and then you scroll down and you see one that's all white. Yeah. And you're like, well, which one is it? Yes. It's actually probably both, because one of the things that they you did they've done with the other thing is like they'll sell you a kit of all white pieces so that you can make like you know a Richard Meyer house or whatever. Yeah. So they probably sell both the all white ones, probably like the starker version, and it would probably cost more, hmm. and things like that. Hmm. So, all yeah. right. Yeah, I was a member of a board at one point where they would give one away every once in a while. I've not seen it in a while. So. Huh. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to the next story, which will be... Uh, so this concrete home cost $109,000 to build. That's uh, pretty impressive to me. What do you guys think about this story? Huh. Or this house? Yeah. Um, it, you, you know what it reminds me of, um, mm-hmm. it reminds me a little bit of the, of the, the 3d concrete printed houses that we, I think, I can't remember when we covered it, probably a year ago. Um, this was done with conventional concrete construction. Um, but it reminds me of that in the fact that there is a, there's a little bit of a pitch, right? And the pitch mm-hmm. is we're using an inexpensive material to build something inexpensively. Um, right. And they're trying to sell the material as the cheapest way to make something. And, you know, and I like concrete. It's not that I don't like concrete. But I, I think that they used, you know, the idea of the material being the, the, the sole reason <laughs> that Mm. the building is inexpensive is a little bit misleading. There are a lot of other factors that play into the role. And while I don't have a a personal problem with the shape, because I find the shape interesting, uh, the fact that it is basically a block uh, and a brick, and it it reminds me of the basic way of constructing things using building blocks, and I like the shape. But I think that if you're going to sell this concept of this material being the uh, the whole primary reason that it's inexpensive, I think they could have been a little bit more creative with mm-hmm. the with that very material that is so fluid. It is so plastic. You can do anything you want with it. They chose a perfectly vertical wall. <laughs> yeah, they chose. They did. A, they did a cube. They did a cube. You know, all these walls are are vertical. But I think if you're going to say, hey, look at this concrete house that is so cheap to make, <laughs> I think you should explore that material more than how it is basically used in most things. That, I mean, that's my, my take on this. What about you, Claudia? So I, I agree with Ray. I really like the shape of it. I like the starkness of it. I like the brutalist, like homage to brutalism a little bit. Um. But then I start questioning certain things, and I, I don't know enough, but, I mean, doesn't, what's the insulation like for, some, for, for a building like this? Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting, well, right, because they don't give you a lot of those details. We know right. it's in and, Portugal. And, right, that depends a lot on the climate. Yeah. Right? So, but then they focus on, they also say that there's a, there's a basement to this. Mm-hmm. And they say that, um, like, they've... Uh, 
rather than fo focusing on other on high cost materials, they instead prefer to to focus on energy efficiency, mm -hmm. right? Which I think is pretty cool. Um, I wonder what you know, like what are those concerns with yeah. energy efficiency that they were able to achieve? The other thing that I that that I wanted to know is like because one of the pictures includes the landscape like the outside and they really didn't do anything with with the outside so then I started thinking well what kind of well they built a concrete wall design <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all around it right? yeah there's a concrete wall on the outside as well the as the yeah. inside yeah inside yeah mm -hmm. but you know and then what do you do do you like do a design of like this lush landscape design or this very stark modernist landscape design like and, and again it all goes with native plants and see how you would do deal with it but I, I I found that interesting that you can sort of like play around with it with the exterior as well mm. um, yeah I think that's yeah. I mean that's as much as I would say about this and and you know yeah. you bring a, something up very interesting Claudia and is that that starkness could have been a canvas for something and yeah. and the canvas for the landscape would have been interesting uh, but but you like you said you don't see that you know, being used that way. And and concrete's been around a long time. And I think Le Cabousier, we, you know, we're all familiar with, um, he really understood the material. And yeah. he could make it do whatever he wanted. And he knew he wasn't confined to a vertical wall. So I kind of feel that. Oh, I, and that's the other thing. This focus back, you know, back on the material, the material, the material. Um, they completely don't tell you how labor-intensive it is to do this kind of construction. It works in Portugal, um, but in a lot of places where labor is very, very expensive, uh, this is not easily reproducible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, and I wonder, if, I think when I see this, well, I like the design. I mean, I think it's very minimalist. I appreciate it yeah. about it. But I, I question whether this is reproducible at all, even in Portugal. Mm -hmm. Because... When I look at some of these photos, like a lot of what I see, like this, don't look like windows that are just manufactured off the of the truck. You know, like you, this didn't come from a factory, and no. this looked like custom custom yeah, windows, picture windows too, huge. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the The cabinets look like custom cabinets to me. The stairs certainly is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A custom built piece. So are the shelves in one of the photos. Um, so I, to me, this looks more like a house that was designed and everybody sort of agreed, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do minimalist. We're all going to try and make money, but we're going to do this for as little as we can to try and, and, and make as little profit as we can to try and make this thing that's then going to make news. Um, like, I don't know that if you went to this contract and be like, all right, now make 10 more for the same price, he would be like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, might, think, I think you yeah. may have hit it on the head. It was made as a model. Right. A model house, and everybody kind of said, we'll just do it at cost. Right. Yeah. And even then, they went over budget because their original idea was to do it for 87000 Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, 87000 And they didn't. They did it for 109000 So, I don't know. It's I like the design, and I like the idea of trying to make a house for this much. Yeah. But I, I question some of the things here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Monetarily. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I, I like I said, I like the design, but I think the the idea of it was a bit misleading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Alright. Cool. Um, so the next story is, and this is, <laughs> it's a thing that I don't understand. I know we talked about it earlier, and Ray, you don't understand it either. But somebody built a connect machine that does the perfect water bottle flip. <laughs> and I think this is something that, you know, the younger listeners might appreciate more because they, they're probably into their water flipping, uh, their bottle flipping. Yeah. Um, but I think as a machine, it's pretty cool on, its, on itself. What do you guys think about it? Claudia? Yeah, well, I mean, they, like, so one thing that I, I didn't quite get, who who did the machine? So it's a it? guy that has a YouTube channel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like him and his kid or anything, right? No, no, I think it's just him. Okay, so that, I mean, I think that would have been a little bit more interesting to me, using the the connects, you know, and having a kid or a group of, like, a neighborhood kids, like, work on this. That would have been awesome. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. It's, I always like it when kids come up with something that is very, like, it's the most simplest toy or or game that they can find like it doesn't have to deal with ipads or you know having your phone or buying anything like you know like a hundred dollars worth of something um just anybody could jump in and do it or fidget toys right like like you have to buy them from like Amazon that you know they may they may have lead in them <laughs> different things just to be yeah, hip. Yeah. Right. So I, I appreciate that. Like when I saw kids um, flipping their water bottles, I thought that was pretty cool because anybody could jump on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't necessarily understand it. Like, what's the appeal behind it? Yeah. Or why it's what's the accomplishment of it? But yeah, I mean, at least they're entertaining themselves for nothing. Exactly. Like that's just you know to me it's it's the equivalent of like going out to your to the alley and playing and hanging out with your friends doing mm. like without much you know like you have mm. a stick, right? Yeah, so but you can cool. poke things with a stick. <laughs> An eye. Yeah, that's the advantage. <laughs> so so I think that this thing is kind of cool, but it takes away all of that. Yeah. Mm. Right. It takes away that that kid like I'm just bored and let's hang out and let's do something yeah. with nothing. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, like you said, he his his material is a, a kid's toy, um, mm. but he uses a tremendous amount of this kid's right. toy. So if you uh, said, oh, I want to build that, you'll, you'll figure out, man, this is kind of an expensive thing to build. Mm-hmm. Um, but his YouTube channel, uh, and his name is, if I can pronounce it correctly, Thebolt Art. I think it's Thebolt Art. And they've got a, a link to his channel. I'm sure you'll find it there. But uh, I took a look. He's got a channel that's been about around for about a year. And everything on his channel is making different machines out of Connect Toys. Which is kind of that aspect. The, the thing that he's making machines out of, of, out of kids' toys. I find that quite interesting. Because they're all different machines that have different functions. This particular one... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of <laughs> it seems weird because it's like you mentioned well, you know I don't get the whole and it might be generational it might be we're just too old to get how fascinating mm-hmm. it is to take a bottle partially filled with the most universal fluid on the planet and <laughs> and you know and fling it a distance and have it land on mm-hmm. the surface on which it was intended to sit <laughs> but maybe that's just me being a little too cynical maybe I just you know I'm not 12 years old and I don't get it. 
And then, you know, to make a machine to do it, I think is weird because whatever fun that it is to flip a bottle mm -hmm. is now lost because it was automated. And maybe that the GE uh, CEO was right. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Even our fun has been automated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what I think about it. Like, I don't understand the, the wanting to flip the bottle or whatever. Yeah. The thing I do understand about it, though, is the one upping each other that clearly goes the competition on with it. right yeah. because I mean when you see the videos online of it, that's basically what it is. it's like you know oh this guy flipped on the table so I'm gonna flip it behind my back and it's gonna land on that table yeah. over there and like I'm gonna do it across the room. So I think this guy making a machine that does it for himself is sort of like the ultimate one-up. It's like I'm just gonna sit over here in the chair and have the robot do it for me, yeah. and is gonna do it all the time as opposed to you who might miss ones. Yeah, you know, so it's like it's the one upping each other. That that's to me that was one thing that was universal. Whether I was, you know, my my friends and I when I was little were riding our bikes and and whatever, we were always competing with each other, trying to go faster, trying to go down the hill faster, trying to jump the thing. Better. Oh yeah. So that's still part of this, you know. It's universal in that sense. Did you ever yeah. play with the? Did you ever play the uh, Who Broke the Most Bones game? <laughs> That's, that's a fun game. <laughs> um, we should do a whole set, a whole session of like Ray telling us his stories about like, what kind of what kind of games he used to play back in the when he was young. Oh yeah. Well, I told you the story about my my bicycle with no chain and no no tires on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's why I'm like, we need to hear those stories. We need to make those those stories public. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Even, I mean that that's it's pretty cool because like that story with Ray and his sister, right? You guys are not that that far apart. A year, yeah. A year, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I remember like because I recall the last the last people that I've the last kids that I saw doing the bottle flipping was this, was this yeah was at the library this friend uh, the daughters of this friend of mine and they're also really close in age and that's exactly what they were doing they were up uh, they were trying to one up each other yeah. up each other right which is pretty cool because like if you have a sibling you want to do that yeah right? yeah. What if you're you're an only child, mm -hmm. right? So this would come in handy if you're an only child. Are you trying to beat the machine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the purpose-built machine. Exactly. This is what you would do. Like uh, this is the ultimate lonely yeah. <laughs> only child that doesn't have their sibling sibling. Well, to I mean play with. that that might be, but I mean I, like the thing I understand about it. I, or I get is the one one upping each other. So I think that's you know this guy went out his way to one up each other. Yeah. And, and we see with everything you know it was everybody was making a spinner. So now let's make a custom spinner. Now it's like making it the bigger spinners and. You know. Oh yeah, I've seen those huge ones. Yeah. They've even asked me on my channel, "Can you make a mega spinner?" I'm like, "Yeah, but why? <laughs> I, I don't see the reason why." Because yeah. for me, yeah, yeah, I have three inch thick chunk of steel that'll weigh eight hundred pounds. I can make a mega one. But I don't see mm. the reason for it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Mm -mm. So yeah, I think this was a cool, a cool, neat little one. It's not little either; it looked pretty big. Yeah. Mm -hmm. one, so. But you know what I thought would have been interesting? Because it says that he he took him four months and seven prototypes. I mm -hmm. think for me, it would have been more interesting to see the design evolution of the machine mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. built, all the changes he made, all the different prototypes. For me the process of the machine would have been more interesting than the final product. Right. No, I agree with you on that. Um, but I think for him, though, it's, again, it's a whole one-upping thing. So 
So I think that's where that comes from. Mm. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I think this might be the last story we do. Um, because it may not be a short one, but, uh, I wanted us to talk a little bit about the Grinfeld tower. Um, the fire that happened there. It is the, the story of the, the tower that caught on fire in London. Um, so I, I, I linked, uh, an article, but there's also a couple of other articles that are also going to be linked here. So there's four articles in total. Um, obviously a tragedy, but you know I think the reason why I put it on here is because there's a lot of talk about you know whether the renovations that just happened to this building is what costed. There's also a lot of talk about a little bit of the injustice of it all um, and people that were trying to get certain things fixed and couldn't get them fixed or complaints that were happening, you know, some of the renovation may not have been done properly, and now it's even sparked uh, people in other buildings that are also owned by by the same um, governing body and trying to get those looked at and made sure they're safe. Um, what, what did you guys come out of from this story and this story as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I mean I I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I... I it's. I think you guys will be able to like speak even more profoundly about the the construction of it and some of those issues. One of the things. I mean, to keep in mind, twelve people died, right? And mm-hmm. then there were a lot of injuries as well. Right. Um, the other part of it was that uh, what I found interesting about it was it's a nineteen seventies building, and I love how they call it refurbishment, right? So it's basically renovation of a building like that. And I think that, like, in terms of cities and currently the current state of cities and this is not just in the u.s but everywhere is that we're constantly building new construction there's so much emphasis on new construction that i think we're we're forgetting in a way how to refurbish buildings Mm -hmm. like because the emphasis is on new and green and tech and design and marketing Mm -hmm that all of that package has completely impacted how renovations are mandated, re- mandated regulated, how, how architects can even start solving those problems of a 1970s building. Like, I really appreciate refurbishing of buildings. I think we need to, we need to focus on that a lot more. And, and if we don't do that, things like this will continue to happen, not just in Europe, but it will happen everywhere. So I think that was the thing. Like it, it seems like a failure in in design, a failure in regulation, a failure in even just development, city development as a whole. Mm. What do you think, Ray? Well, you know, it's a tragedy, of course. You know, 12 people mm-hmm. died, at least that, that are being confirmed and... and Dozens of people. I think it was like seventy people that are, you know, injured. Um, tragedy for sure. But what's confusing to me is that they spent eight point seven million pounds, and I'm not sure what that translates to in dollars. But on on a building that I know that when I was an architect, a practicing architect, and and we were looking at at re uh, remodeling buildings. The very first thing that that you would look at is how you need to apply the code in this particular renovation. And a building of this size 
that does not have sprinkler systems, there is no way I could have done a single thing to this building without first putting in a sprinkler system. They, mm-hmm. the, uh, the fire marshal said, look, that building was built way back when it wasn't required. It's required today, and I'm going to insist on it because of the huge uh, life safety issue that it presents. So uh, at 8.7 million pounds, uh, which I'm going to guess is, is maybe between 9 and $10 million, uh, they would have uh, had you spend X amount of dollars, and I think it's like you, you don't have to exceed 20%. To be spent on life safety and ADA uh, things like that, to sprinkler that entire building, I think was a, would have been a very reasonable cost. Why that wasn't the very first thing on the list um, is is for me very difficult to understand. Having run into this problem many times on much smaller buildings, you know, three, four story buildings, five story buildings, uh, because of the constructions, um, the construction types, uh, and when you look at all the other things, I know they, they're still investigating it. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention is aluminum composite panels. I'm not sure if you guys know what that is. Um, I've worked with it quite a bit. Are you guys familiar with aluminum composite panels? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that has a polyethylene core, which is a flammable core. And unless it's treated, you can have quite a lot of flammable material on the outside of a building of this type. Mm-hmm. And forget, you know... The insulation and the, the cavity creating a chimney, which I know I know is still in the investigation. Uh, I you know I question the the uh, the logic. They usually use it in you know small buildings um, on a facade or a soffit or things like that. Usually one story buildings to cover twenty some odd stories in it. A very strange choice of material. They use it because it's cheap. It's cheaper than solid aluminum. But uh, so many things are confusing about this. And when you couple with the fact that it's just recently renovated and so many people lost their lives, uh, something that could have easily been avoided. And Jose, I am sure you've had many issues where you've run into where the fire marshal insists that something is going to be done. Whether you want to do it or not is irrelevant. Right. And I think to me, because I agree with what you're saying, but I, I also know, you know, we're talking about from the point of view of what we've seen on the on the IBC, which is the International Building Code. Yeah. Um, but also, any city or any town can amend the code of course, yep. as it comes in. Um, and I think what this points to me, or what I think this looks like to me, is that there were some amendments done. There were some things. That's why. That's the only reason why I can imagine that there was no sprinkler system put in. Um, but I, I think it speaks a little bit of a, to, you know, the lack of interest the owner of this building had for the people that lived in the building, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's always the sort of the part that goes first mm-hmm. when it comes to, unfortunately, when, as architects, you know, we are very much dependent on the budget and on the desires of the owner of the building. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, this becomes clear that it was hmm. a decision was made to put the money in certain places and not others at the risk of the people that live there. Yeah. Um, what you're describing to me is like a different type of slumlord. Um, 
so I, I, I mean, so yes, that that makes sense in a way because of the type of this is a residential building, people live there. Um, but to me, this is no different than when I was doing hotels, and the owner of the hotel didn't really care to put much money into improvements for accessibility. You know, they would look at look at it and say, well. I make this room accessible, I have to keep it open, that's one less room that I have to rent, because I have to leave it open. If somebody wants a suite, I have to have, I have eight suites in this hotel, one of them has to be accessible, I can't rent that on, at all, unless somebody accessible comes to ask for that room, because I have to keep it available. Mm -hmm. To them, it was losing money. They didn't care that it's about equality for somebody that's in a wheelchair. Yeah. You know, so it's not just in rental apartments like this is. I think this is a problem. I think a problem. This is a reality, I guess, of the business that I, I happen to be in. And, you know, we all have dealt with or have at one point or continue to have to deal with. Um, no, I don't. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't call it a reality because then we're talking about C. We're using GE. The, the GE CEO, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm a realist. Yeah. I'm not an optimist. Right. And it's not about realism. It's about ethics. No, and I agree with that. So I think that it is a problem. Like, call it for what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a problem. And I think that there are things that architects can do using regulation mm -hmm. as their shield to actually basically what Ray says, you know? Like, there's this respect that you would have for, for that type of regulation. And use that and tell this slumlords 2.0 mm. that you can't do that. Like at least you're not willing to put your name on it because that's the other part of this conversation, which I'd love to hear from you guys. Is you know what kind of responsibility does the architect have, right? Because now they're they the the architects, the designers for this particular project. Now their name is all over. Oh yeah. They're being used as the example. How do you come up? How do you like basically start to pick up from that? Well, I mean, it's tough, and it's you know, I've worked at a number of firms. I worked at six different firms, and they all look at it differently, right? I've worked at the firm where the main concern was the, what what kind of liability are we taking? I worked at a firm where the main concern was. We want to make a beautiful building that becomes part of our portfolio. Um, so I think everybody handles this sort of thing differently. These guys' names are all over the news now, and they're going to, I'm sure, stand by the fact that they did everything per code because most architects do that. They're not going to do something that's not to code, unless it's a mistake. Um, the real question is what you're saying is what are your personal ethics when it comes to some of this stuff? Yeah. I, I don't work at that place that I mentioned before anymore because I just did not like my my own personal beliefs did not let did not allow me to keep working there and have to face those kind of decisions and have to go with those kind of decisions so you know I don't know I don't know the answer to that I guess yeah yeah and it's always you know when in practice one of the I would say Probably the top five things that we dealt with in any building, whether it was a new construction or renovation, is five out of ten things. Any building you worked on, for us, life safety, life safety, life safety, life safety. Right. Fire, 
fire prevention, egress. I mean, all of those things are at the top of the list. Uh, design was almost, you know, the the last thing you were really concerned with. And you, when you study a building and, and how it gets used, uh, and you know, it, buildings like this really become code pit buildings. So much of it is is uh, controlled by the code. When when a tragedy happens, it's it's really a very difficult thing to put on it. And and you answer you ask these questions like this is common practice. Why wasn't the most simplest of life safety um, issues uh, or, uh, or techniques and and um, regulations in place it just seems like such a a crazy thing to happen of course now it, this one tragedy the only good news about it if there could be any good news is that it's going to trigger all of these conversations to happen and people to avoid this again uh the code is going to change they're going to do a lot of cracking down and b buildings will be safer that's you would hope you would hope yeah I don't know that that's necessarily the case all the time, though. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, because, I mean, I think this goes also goes beyond the design. Because there were clearly, with the medical state, that there were complaints that were just, that fell in deaf ears. Yeah. And, you know, that part of it, I don't think, changes. You know, I, I've sat down with people, with a client who you would think were designing a building for him. And he says, my number one concern is, I'm like, I'm expecting, you know, a beautiful building that the people that rent my offices are going to be happy or, you know, yeah. air quality, either roof details. Yeah. Yeah. I want a lot of roof details. I want my building to leak. I don't want to have to repair it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of odd, but that, you know, but that's, that's an experience. Some people think. Yeah. That's an experienced right. person who's had issues before. Right. They've had, they've had roof yeah. leaks and that's what they stick to that, you know? Yeah. I don't know that I would open a conversation with that, though. Yeah. You know, so... Anyway. Yeah, that is a little bit odd to be the first thing to talk about. Right. It's To me, it's sort of a list of priorities, and if that's your number of priority, where do the comfort of the people that are inhabiting your building fall into? Yeah. When your first thought goes to maintenance. Yeah. My my know. first thing that I always hated is when a, when a client came to me and within the first three sentences says, look, I don't have a lot of money for this building. If you don't have, why are you building a building if you don't have any money for a building? <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing because they tell, they usually that's the, the second or third statement. And then the fourth statement is, I don't want a sprinkler. I cannot tell you how many times I heard, I don't want a sprinkler, I don't want a sprinkler. And, it, oh, and they go, oh yeah, and it's going to be a church and I don't want a sprinkler. Well, that's not going to fly then unless it's the tiniest church. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you try to explain, and they and then they say, "Well, this church that I go to, and I'm using the, the church example because it, it, you know, it comes up a lot. Um, the church I went to that's 60 years old doesn't have a sprinkler system, and and yet it's a yeah, they didn't put them in back then. It wasn't that big a deal. But yeah, people are always clients, you know, always trying to cut these corners. And uh, I think you're right that there's a certain level of responsibility from the architect. Say, yeah, no, we have to do this." Or we need to go talk to the fire marshal because the fire marshal will tell you yes or no and why. So here's another thought. So I've been, I was reading one of the, like, I don't know if it's one of the four, but they talk a lot about. So one thing that I didn't realize is that the Greenfell building yeah. and the people who live there, there was an actual Greenfell action group 
that for a while, and as of last November of last year, they actually said in the news, right, the residents said that only a catastrophic event will expose the ineptitude and incompetence of our landlord. So this building is actually for low-income mm-hmm. residents. I had no idea. I thought it was like just, you know, like middle class, you know, another redevelopment type of thing or refurbishing. But so that's the other key, right? Architects focus so much on the client because that's who's paying. And then if it's not the client, then the next the next level is the city, right? Because they're the ones who are, who are the regulators. Like, why is it that the tenants are always third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, or not even considered by architects when you're doing, you know, like, to me, if I, if I would have been an architect and working on this, on this building, having heard from this community saying that only, a, like, so an event like this where 12 people would die would make a difference because at this point they've been, they've lost all hope. Mm-hmm. I would be like, well, let me talk to the people. Well, I mean, I think from my point of view, it's to me, it's always been about the people that inhabit the buildings. Um, and a lot of times I've had to push back at people, or whether it's my, my direct boss or the client, as far as like, no, that's not the right decision. We need to do this because it's better for the people that are going to use your building. Um, a lot of owners that develop buildings are businessmen. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, in the case of the hotels, that's what it was. I, I was walking through a hotel once with the, the guy that owned the hotels and uh, a one of the one of the clients, one of the people that were staying at the hotel, realized that's the owner and she went to say something to him. Asked him first, are you the owner of this hotel? He lied to her and said, no, I'm not, and then walked away. Wow. Later, he told me, like, I don't, I don't want to hear from <laughs> from them. Wow. That's, you know, he, his interest was, I'm going to f- take buy this decrepit hotel, I'm going to f- fix it up on the it. surface, and then I'm going to flip it. Yeah. I'm going to sell it to somebody else. Um, that's, that's who they are. And no matter what we wanted to do about it, if the law wasn't on my side, he was not budging. You know, like he wanted to not do things for ADA, and I told him, "No, you, you have to do that. Yeah, otherwise you're gonna get sued. This is the law." And at that point, he's like, "Okay, I will do that." And if I could find a way for him to do it at a low cost, then he would like it. Yeah, you know, it, that's just how a lot of how a lot of people are. I've had to push back, you know, make things more difficult for somebody to unload into a theater so that the experience of the patron is better. Yeah. You know, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, so you have to have a lift. Lift costs money. It's a little inconvenient for you to load into the theater, but we don't have all these ramps in the in the lobby that are make it harder for people to move through and enjoy the space. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the people are what's important. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, it, it's just not going to be everybody's point because there's a business component to architecture yeah. that some people don't like to talk about. Well, and buildings are expensive and you got to pay for them mm-hmm. somehow. Right. But I have a question for you guys. Since you know we all went to uh, school and worked in the uh, in the private sector, how many stairwells do you think that a twenty-story building, this particular building, would have or should have in it? Well, it needs to. Uh, it has to have at least two. Yeah. At the very That's bare minimum, two, right? Right. Two. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you guys know from school and from reading the code, when you have a stair, the stair has to be located in a, uh, in a shaft that is protected from fire, right? right. And depending on how high it is, that, that shaft has to have a certain hour rating to it. Mm -hmm. right? Right. Just like the width of the stair has to be a certain width, exactly. depending on the amount of people per floor yeah. and all that stuff, right? And that that shaft needs to extend from the ground floor all the way to the topmost floor. Mm -hmm. This particular building had one stair, one stairwell, one staircase, mm -hmm. 20 stories tall. And I think actually, um, if if this building were here in the United States, it would it would probably require at least three stairwells because it wasn't sprinklered. If you went to a, a, the fire marshal, I'm renovating this building. Well, you either have to sprinkle it or add another stairwell. And and here's the the kicker: on the second floor, the path of egress jogs from the center of the building over to the corner. Yes. What? So wow. From its inception. This thing was a death death trap. It should have never been built this way. Um, and even even in the seventies, I think this wasn't up to par. You can't. The code. You know I mean, in the seventies, they got away with a lot of stuff. You think so? Yeah. I mean, this is like yeah. one hundred and one. You don't want to <laughs> divert the path of egress on a on a floor level one when you are in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, but in the seventies they would have been able to get away with it. In seventies London, I mean, especially yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I think you have to consider who were the tenants, and I think that's why a lot of these renovations are. Well, and that's why I pointed out that I think it's it's deeper than just an issue of the code. I think there's a certain level of. I don't want to say discrimination, but probably this level is. of, of at the very least, because I don't know that everybody was a minority or whatnot. It is a very, at very least, a level of discrimination based on income. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And based on yeah, based on income. Yep. So. so here's a question for you guys. I mean, I really appreciate this conversation because so one of the discussions that I'm I'm having, in the work that I'm doing is again it surrounds displacement and stuff, but it's specifically a public housing, of completely demolishing public housing and rebuilding right and what the community is saying is can we rebuild in place so don't displace us and what the city is saying no we can't we sold this to developers and therefore we are not going to um the cost of it is too much so it's being litigated right so the community's only reactionary um solution to this is take them to court, mm -hmm. right? So what I hear from my comrades is, yeah, we have to do that. On the other side, I'm constantly telling them, well, you need architects and you need planners that are speaking on behalf of the community because the discussions that are being had relate to construction, relate to building, relate to phasing, relate to costs, relate to regulation that you guys all, like what we, you guys have been talking about. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing from the litigators is no one cares about that. We don't need that. Why bother with that? We'll just take them to court. Like, we don't need that. And that bothers me because it's like, it takes away the, like, the knowledge that you guys can provide for these communities. 
and that I can provide even as an urban planner, which I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. right? So that it's not this reactionary, like, way of, like, well, you tell us what you would tell us, and we'll just believe you, and we'll rebuttal from that. Instead of saying, okay, well, there's this group of professionals that are helping this community, and they're going to uh, watch out. They're going to be, you know, they're, they're actually going to help the community and make sure that they're that what is being said is to their benefit or not, especially when it comes to construction. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, I, I don't, is it, do you, do you guys think it's more of a, like, would you guys participate in that process? Knowing Oof. that this is the outcome. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Jose, if you got something. Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of points there. I think the reason why other your colleagues say, well, we're going to take him to litigation over there. It's a, it's a little bit of like follow the money, right? Um, at the end of the day, if you take him, to, if they take him to litigation, there's money to be made there. Lawyers make money. Potentially, people there suing make money. Like you know, that's it's a system that exists. That's why litigation is such a big business in this country. I think the other part of it is why don't a lot of architects get involved is, and I've heard this from other architects, even when it comes to things that directly affect them, like how long it takes for a permit to get through or how how expensive a permit can be for a homeowner or, or, or a business owner or whatever. Um, they don't want to get involved because they have to work directly with the people that you would be complaining about. The clients. No, no, you would be complaining about the building officials or you would be, you know, oh, yeah. you're, you're seen as giving them a hard time. You have to work directly with those people in order to get some buildings built. People that regulate. Right. So that is why a lot of architects don't want to get involved in that. Um, we're having this discussion. We're to have this discussion. Um, you don't work in an architecture firm anymore. Ray runs his own business at this point. He doesn't work in an architecture firm. I don't care if somebody <laughs> hears what I'm saying and doesn't like it, but I don't really want to work for you anyways. So and that's why we're able to have this discussion and you don't see a group of architects getting together and say, let's go change these laws. Let's go give them a hard time of what they're saying. Yeah. They have something to lose. Yeah. And Ray, like, cause you, you know, like you do a lot of this like construction and, you know, materials and you know, this, this like from the technical side of it even like don't you think that it would be helpful for communities to understand this or at least have someone that is advocating for them in those terms um i do think it's it's helpful to the community the problem that and i and let me speak from my own experience on a much smaller scale here locally uh, uh my wife wanted to get involved with the uh, historical preservation group that is here mm-hmm. and so uh, she she asked me to come along with her and that we would speak and maybe participate as um, maybe not as experts but people with experience in the field so we went to this community meeting and there must have been 30 people there and the entire meeting got dominated by the most ridiculous things that I I turned to her and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this. This is so, because here's what it was. People who have no knowledge or experience 
in the field that you are qualified for wanted to make all the decisions. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be part of this because if they want to sit here for three hours and talk about Windows, Windows, <laughs> and, and, I, and I won't forget this. They wanted to talk about how houses with, uh, with single-pane wood frame windows, want, they wanted to be able to force homeowners to keep single-pane, inefficient wood frame windows because they were hysterical and prevent them from replacing them with more energy-efficient metal or vinyl double-glazed windows. They wanted to force those kind of things. Um, obviously, not. this is not that the exact topic that we were talking about, but it was my own personal experience locally, and it is so ridiculous because that's a lot of times what ends up happening is things become ridiculous that you don't want to be a part of. And like Jose said, more specifically, if you're still in that in that field, you can open up a can of worms where uh, the guy who has to sign off on your permit will remember you giving him a hard time. And I'm like, you know what? Your permit is still under review. And it's probably right in his desk. Your mm-hmm. permit, check with me in four weeks. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, interesting. And, yeah. and, and if they can delay it, because, you know, if you have a seal and i'm not sure if you've ever seen it a plans reviewer seal have you uh i know jose seen it yeah uh yeah i have so that is ultimate power they (laughs) it is ultimate power they can delay any project as much as they want because they're reviewing it and they want to make sure it's safe and they'll remember you (laughs) they remember uh i have many meetings with the with the fire marshal and he didn't remember my name but he would turn to me and says, hey, don't you work for this and this architect? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> he remembered who I worked for uh, and who my boss was. He didn't remember me. I mean, why would he? So, And that's a guy that answers to nobody. Correct. This fire marshal oh, yeah. is like a god in, <laughs> in, in cities. And this, and this was in Baltimore. This particular fire marshal retired as the chief of uh, uh, the fire chief. And they asked him to come back as the as a fire marshal. Wow. So yeah, he and he was tough as nails too, as he should be. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, yeah, like the fire marshal to a degree holds more power than the mayor. Yeah, because the fire marshal could kick the mayor out of his house. Yep, and nobody could stop him. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, you've been with me when I've gone to meetings with you, and I. They don't want us there because one, we can tell when they're. We've already used this term before, so I'll use it again. They can. We can tell when they're bullshitting. Yeah. Right. I, I've said they're with you, and I've and I've. One of your friends asked a question, and the guy went and did the whole answer. And I was like, you didn't really answer his question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then I answered. I'm like, you don't want to tell him the truth. You don't want to tell him that what he's asking for, you're never going to do because you've already gone. You've already spent ten. $10 million on fees of this, and you've already spent all this stuff, this isn't going to happen. And after I said all that, then he was like, yeah, well, it's not going to happen. It's true. You know, they don't want us there. They remember us when we're there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a risk. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting because you guys basically have said, you know, with me asking you the questions, what I've told my colleagues, you know, like the advocates, that what's the what's what are the barriers for people like like us like professionals like us 
to participate in this processes so that they don't end up like this building like this what we're what we're talking about you know going back to this to this um tragedy 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 <laughs> sorry tragedy but you know the the barrier one of the barriers you've not spoken about though or we've not really mentioned is that the other part of the barrier is that a lot of the people you're talking about don't want people with our background there because then we are the ones that those communities go to to get answers and not them right yes that is their job it is not our job it's how they see it yes and that's so. that's and that goes to what ray was saying like it's it's basically taken what ray was saying you know these people are some of these people are they love to speak about stuff that they don't have expertise on. Yeah. And they like to take away that expertise from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's very clear. Like now that I've have been coined a certified expert in urban planning and environmental policy, I still like people don't still like, and some of my colleagues don't still give me that benefit of the doubt in which I, I know a little bit better. So I end up just telling them, you know, we're just being reactionary here. Mm-hmm. There's nothing proactive about what we're doing. And then my, like, what really helped was me saying, hey, uh, and, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before about, like, different ways in which architects as, a, as professionals have gone away from the traditional architecture jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm in that case. I mean, I went, like, rogue, rogue, mm-hmm. you know, like, speaking like really publicly and being very public about all these issues. And I'm like, I'm the only one. So like you're even diminishing my contribution here, mm-hmm. but I don't think you have other people behind other Claudia's around that will tell you this. Mm-hmm. And that's when like, okay, well fine. <laughs> yeah. We, we're glad that you're here, but I feel so alone in these cases. And I think that, yeah, there's, I think this is really helpful because I think for cases like what we were, what we were talking about, like this, particular building in the Greenfeld Tower, um, it's not just regulation, like what what government is trying to do, like, you know, put more regulation and more of everything else. It's, it's also breaking down these barriers for architects to be able to have more of a say and be more comfortable and be protected mm-hmm. to be able to participate in this on behalf of the communities. Cool. I mean, I think that's a good place to leave that story at. Um, and I think we'll move on to the next segment of the show, which is the product of the week. So the product of the week, it is called, uh, as always, we are not associated with the product of the week. We... You know, just sort of find something and we that we want to talk about, and we sort of bring it to you guys to discuss. We are not opposed to <laughs> being affiliated with the product of the week, so especially with this week, because it's kind of a cool thing to try out. But uh, it is called the PFX brick, which are basically specialty bricks for Lego creations. Um, it's a Kickstarter. Uh, how much have they raised? We were just looking at it. Okay, I'm checking. Sorry. That's right, but we'll find that out. But uh, it is, yeah, so it's, you know, basically provides these three different types of bricks. There's light, there's sound, and there's action. They wanted to raise, no, they're over, they're 
It's 88. Isn't that Canadian dollars? Yes, though? Canadian dollars. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's nothing. Yeah, that's like 12 and a half cents. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so they're funded, right? They, they got yeah, funded. They, they, yep. Because yeah. they're um, pre ordered now. Yep. So, I mean, what do you guys think about this? Well, I, I never even saw or heard of this until uh, yeah. until you pointed it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting um, from the point of view of a kid adding, you know, three more dimensions to your your Lego creations. Um, and so I find it interesting in that regard. Mm. And I think that it has the opportunity of, of opening up quite a lot of possibilities for cr- kids who are already creative. That find like personally, I did not find a lot of interesting joy or 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 any aspect thereof with playing with Legos. To me, they were just plastic blocks. This would have made it much more interesting, creating machines, things that move, than just static blocks. Right. Kind of wish I had it as a kid. <laughs> what about you, Claudia? I like the fact that it's it's an add-on to Legos, right? Essentially, yeah. And and so I one of the fun memories that Jose and I have, which is kind of weird, because we went to this the Lego convention, mm-hmm. like the local like or regional Lego convention, and it's basically this big open space and usually like a big gym or whatever, and yeah, yeah you just see all the Lego build outs that mm-hmm. kids do, like cities, well, just different kids. things. <laughs> And that's and that was the fun part that it was it wasn't just kids. And then there's whole like basically that's half of the of of, of that Lego convention. The other half is all of the different add-ons to Lego sets that you can do that are not Lego trademarked. Right, they're not by Lego. Yeah, and I love the trees, for example. Mm-hmm. Like there's some really cool different types of trees that you can add to the standard um, block of Legos, mm-hmm. right? Then there's idea. Then they also have these buckets of just parts everywhere, mm-hmm. and you can buy like you know like as many as you can fit on this bag. Right? You go to buy custom cheap. parts, or you can buy custom parts as well. And that's the the beauty of like Lego that you you, you can have all of these little pieces, but now with this thing, you can actually make them, you know, like light up, have action, make sound to them. And that's, I think it makes all of that stuff again. Like now I'm hoping that if we go again, mm-hmm. we can see some of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, it sort of makes, like, it makes sense. And it, it's it's funny that Lego itself didn't come up with this before them. Um, because in a world, we live in a world where, like, things are moving much quicker. They, they do more things. You can buy a piece of software and plan out your Lego creation before you even get the bricks. You know that's a thing. And you, yeah, it's a thing. You can get a piece oh, of wow. software that has all the blocks, and you can build it on the computer, and then you, it it spits out a list of all the all the blocks you need, and then you can order it that way, and then you put it together. Huh. Um, it makes sense that you know you take it to the next level, right? Like evolve or die, and I think this is sort of the next level. It's like having your your cup cars lights go on and off and make sounds and even drive on its own you know move forward or whatever mm-hmm. it, it makes sense and you can make it yourself so i, don't know, I like it i'm glad they got their money and i'm probably not going to order any because i don't have a lot of lego yeah. <laughs> myself currently but it's kind of cool 
Um, before we wrap up the product of the week, though, I do want to back up to last week's product of the week, which was, if anybody remembers, it was the the wooden blocks that oh, you can sign yes, a cars. car with. Yep. Yeah. So at the end of that that segment, we each guessed how much we thought this product cost. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. I believe, Ray, you were at 15 to $20? I, I don't correctly. even remember, but probably right, yeah. That time, you, Claudia, were more like 50, yeah. if I remember correctly. I said it was at least 100 So We looked it up. It was $89. No, I'm not wow. here, but it was $89.99 for wow. the Wow, for wooden blocks. Right. So, Claudia wins in, you know, our Price oh, yeah. is Right style. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Closest without going over. That's right. Closest without going over. Even though I was the closest, I went over. Yeah. So... <laughs> Ray went with $1. <laughs> yeah, Ray went yeah. low. Well, that's the safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very so cool. that, is, that is the end of the product of the week. Let's go to our last segment of the show, which is what are we working on? All right. So what's everybody working on uh, in a brief way, just because this episode's looking long. So Claudia, why don't you go first? What are you working on? Yeah, so um, it's yeah the whole comprehensive plan and all that other stuff, good stuff. But one thing that came up in my emails was the Congressional Maker Caucus. I actually received emails from them, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having currently between June 16th and June 22nd, that would be tomorrow, uh, they were celebrating the National Week of Making. Mm-hmm. Um, and in their newsletter, though, what really caught my attention is three different legislations that were introduced that support the maker movement. And this is at the federal or the national level, right? Congress. Mm-hmm. And I, um, one of the things I want to work on is doing a quick recap of these three with you guys uh, with, and our audience. Because mm-hmm. I think they're really cool. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, it's just to put it out there, there's like three different um, in legislatures that were introduced in Congress that are supporting the maker movement. Mm. We got to talk about those for sure. So yeah, that's what I want to do. Cool. Ray? Um, well, you know me, the usual stuff, new videos on my YouTube channel. Um, I don't know if you saw my latest one where I discussed the differences between my original uh, nine gear spinner and the counterfeit. Oh, I did not <laughs> see that. <laughs> yes. When did that go live? I had not seen that yet. Um, I want to say Tuesday, yesterday. Yesterday, okay. No, I'm, I'm, I missed it so far. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, it's we've a, talked about that a little bit ourselves. So yeah, and it's yeah. it's uh, actually quite a long video. Uh, I found a a counterfeit at the local mall. At the local mall. At the wow. local mall. Oh, wow. So it has it has come full circle. It's oh my god. My idea was ripped off in China, and now the the counterfeit is available locally. So I was not about to spend a single penny on mm-hmm. my counterfeited design but i went down there and i convinced them to let me film mm-hmm. so i had it in my hand and i i did a, i filmed about five minutes and then once they realized what i was doing they said no we don't want you to film anymore <laughs> <laughs> but i got five minutes worth of film and then i uh, i kind of discussed my whole feelings about this whole situation mm-hmm. and um you know, just kind of, and go over some of the details uh, of the differences between the authentic and the and the counterfeit, because it's weird. Whenever this subject has come up, um, people justify 
uh, especially in the different spinner groups and things like that. And even on in the videos, uh, the comments in the videos, people justify the existence of the counterfeit, which is which is stolen. Obviously, they stole mm. the design and they ripped it off, but they justify the ex- the existence of it and you know anyone's ability to purchase it based on the price of the original, which is I find confusing. I find it very confusing uh, because it's like saying, well, it's okay to to um, copy a Rolex because the original Rolex is so expensive. That's it's a ridiculous thing. It's not okay, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of justify it, and it I find it weird because if you replace the crime with a different crime mm-hmm. and use the same justification, well, murder is okay because it benefits the murderer. <laughs> You know, stealing is okay because it benefits you because you're the one stealing. Um, you know, it, it's okay to steal from a bank because they have too much money. I mean, it's, it's just a ridiculous argument to make. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a lack of understanding of intellectual property from yeah. people. Um, and, I mean, maybe that's also a discussion we can have in a, in a, in a future thing. Topic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because I think it is an important discussion to have. When it comes to intellectual property and the reasons why there's copyright law, we were just looking up the whether Lego had lost its uh, its copyright or whatever. Yeah. Maybe we can even invite a uh, a lawyer. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, so maybe that's a discussion we have later on. Because, but but I think that's what it comes down to. It's, it's a lack of understanding of what intellectual property means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I'm still like amazed that it reached you. Yeah, you live in a small town. Too. Uh, yep, small town. I say local was in in uh, you know thirty minutes away. Dover. That's, that's yeah. still, but still local. A, I mean, it's still a small state in the U.S. and not even the capital, right? Because you, you're talking about Dover. Yeah, in Dover. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, you know, even to me, like that's like whether it like it, it were Delaware or like anywhere else, the fact that it it literally, it literally got to you thirty minutes away. Yep, that's. Crazy at a mall. Oh it my god! It is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Anything else you're working on? You're gonna talk about the the bench, not the bench, the table. Oh, the uh, <laughs> the uh, picnic table, or picnic table. I don't know if we call it a picnic outdoor table. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, it's awfully heavy duty. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> In fact, I've got uh, on my left arm, I've got uh, welder's burn. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, nice. and, that, and you know, if you don't know what Welder's Burn is, that's not from the hot sparks reaching your hand, but there's a lot of UV light that's created, and the and I got a sunburn on my arm from the the, uh, from, the welder. Yeah. from the welder itself. I didn't get burned anything; it's just a, like a surface sunburn mm-hmm. because of the ultraviolet rays emitted by the welder. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's I, a, that's a, you recorded this build, right? So that's a video that will come out. In it'll, your it's a video that'll come out maybe next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's something for people to look forward to. Yeah. Now that I'm hearing you're that you can get a suntan of, now, you're, you're whoa, a big fan even of more. watching people while <laughs> you've ever done it. I want to, especially now you can get a, like now that I know I can get a suntan out of it. Oh. Uh, I didn't say suntan. I said burn. <laughs> but uh, but that's that's something for people to keep an eye out for then. Uh, cool. I want to watch it. Cool. Um, what about you? Oh yeah, for myself. I just put out a video where I made a championship belt. So that oh, video yeah. went live Monday, Tuesday, I don't remember either. Um, but yeah, that just went live. Um, which is, a, I had made this championship belt as a sort of a going away gift for a friend of mine. Um, 3D printed everything, painted it, bejeweled it. Oh, and, uh, you bejazzled it. 
Yeah, well, you have to, you know, you have to have some some, <laughs> some bling on on a championship belt. Um, yeah, so that's up on the channel. Um, and then this week I've been working on a couple of things, um, some sort of design stuff that I want to put up on my YouTube channel, and also I've been working on a spinner. Actually, I've been modeling parts for a three D spinner. Like I was at a state sale a couple of weeks ago, and I found this sort of spare part, like this metal part. I don't even know what it's for. I should show it to you one day, so you maybe you know what it's for. And and I was like, oh, you know, that would make. I, I bet I could three D print some parts to stick to this to make it into a spinner. So I've been working on that, and I'm gonna put that up hopefully next week. Now I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, because I I saw the notification when it came up, and I probably saw like the first. Mm -hmm. 15 seconds and I said oh, I got I got to watch that later when I get a chance. Uh that is a pretty big 3D printed thing. Mm -hmm. So um I guess you did that at the library. I didn't realize they had such a, a large footprint or did you make it out of several pieces? So no I I printed it here with my printer oh, and really? I, yeah and what I did is I I had to and I explained and the thing you'll see the model the modeling of one of the parts and then I had to split them basically all in half one so that it prints the right orientation yeah and and it's you know it doesn't have as much support not as much waste and then i glued them together after that so how many sections did you have to print that in because you have a little printer uh well it's not that small it's like basically like almost nine by nine um so the biggest part which is the center circle i think i think you forget half. the scale that i'm accustomed to yes yeah. well i mean <laughs> yeah. we're also we're also talking about a championship belt that's not that big i, I think don't know that's pretty big the center circle was eight inches across, I want to say eight or nine inches across. Okay. Or, so I put it diagonally on the bed and I just split it. I just split it in half and I actually printed both half at the same time. Okay. Um, but you'll see that in the video because that's the one that I show model, split. I place it on the, the software to send to the 3D printer and then you see that 3D printing. Okay. Um, How long did that take? And then I just glue them together. Uh, so those were the ones that took the longest and it took about, that took about like five hours to print. Okay. That's not uh, bad. But that's not that bad. And the other ones, which are also has took like three hours to print, two and a half hours to print. Um, yeah. And then I glue them all together. There was some trial and error. There was. And, it's important to always say that. Like, right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, the, a lot of people think 3D printing has gone to the point where it's just like plug and play, but you still have to level beds and it, and every time you use it, you almost have to level it and adjust it to make sure it's right. And if you're using one plastic over the other, you also have to. Yes. That was, that was the again. one thing you experienced, right? right? There was like, there was a difference between the, the plastics. Between PLA and ABS, you know, there's, there's different temperatures, different leveling and yeah it, it's 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 it, it gets know. complicated but it gets, not too much that no. it's impossible to do but there is that trial and error yeah and, and the more you learn about it the, the better it is like one of the and there's so many plastics out there that you know you have to learn each one like i've not yet used petg which is supposed to have the best of both pla and abs you know for example cool so, so yeah that's some stuff we're all working on um and that's the end of the show. Why don't we tell people where they can learn more about us or see more of our stuff? Claudia, you go first. Uh, you can find me at uh, the City Ecologist. Uh, my website is pretty; it's it's up and running. So yep. the City like check it out. Um, yeah, so that's a pretty good place on Twitter, on Facebook as well. DC Berrigan. Cool. So yeah. Right. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I've got the uh, the Facebook uh, homemade lathe uh, group. 
if you're interested in building lathes in particular, but machines in general, I would cover all kinds of things in there. A lot of interesting questions pop up, and I, I do my best to, uh, to answer it or help direct people uh, to uh, help them fulfill their projects. Uh, if you ha if you haven't figured it out by now, I do make the spinners, <laughs> yes. and I'm getting so tired. I am very tired of the spinners uh, because uh, you know it's, they're fun to make, but they are a lot of work, and, and I've got a lot of orders. But uh, realgearspinners.com, if uh, if you haven't seen them and you're curious, that's probably where you, the best place to uh, to uh, look at that. And then of course my YouTube channel. Uh, if you type in my name Ray Pena, uh, you will definitely find my YouTube channel. I think if you put in my name. The first 30 or 40 things mm -hmm. that pop up are all my videos. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be it'll be hard not to find one of my videos. Cool. Yeah, and with me, you can find me at City Aperture pretty much everywhere, from Twitter to YouTube to even Etsy, actually. So, yeah. Cool. Oh, so, I meant to ask you, how's your Etsy, Etsy page doing? Uh, it's going pretty well, actually. I'll talk to you. I had to ship out a bunch of stuff this, today and another one tomorrow. I may have to get down to your shop again. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask you how your inventory was. Yeah, no, I ran out of the coasters. You remember the Wonder Woman shield coasters? Oh, yeah. Yep, that's Sold all gone out. already. Yep. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk offline. But uh, next week, we are going to talk, because everybody's been graduating, whether it's during, graduating from high school or college in the last couple of weeks, I thought we'd talk about graduating with a design degree, which is basically what we all graduated with. So, you know, like sort of next steps or where people go yeah. from there, that sort of thing. That'll be good for like decoupaging a table. <laughs> with design, <laughs> design degree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tune in next week for some more ideas as to what you can do with your design degree. <laughs> and we're starting off yeah. that. <laughs> That's how we're starting, yeah. That's how we're starting <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thanks everyone for listening. All right, bye. Bye bye.